We live in rapidly changing times. Everywhere we look, dramatic, sometimes traumatic change is taking place in our culture, in the world, at the workplace, in our schools, and in our families, everywhere. But there is one sure, great constant, and that is God himself. Coming up next on Daily in Christ, the incredible steadfast love of the Lord. And I welcome you once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Well, today is the sixth installment of our ongoing series, Blessed Beyond Imagination. And all throughout this series, we have been unpacking what the Bible has to say about God being a blessing God. He blesses us richly, not because we deserve it, but because He is good. And we have spent a good amount of time during this series feasting at the table of blessings found in Psalm 103. Oh, by the way, if we were to do a complete series on the blessing of God, it would probably go on all year long, 52 installments. Well, we're not going to go quite that far. But Psalm 103 has really been rich and touches upon some of the key blessings that we have from the heart of God. We've looked at what the blessing of God really means, not forgetting the many benefits of God and living the enjoyment of those rich God-giving benefits. We've looked at the blessing of God's perfect and forever forgiveness, the blessing of healing. We've also looked at the rich blessing of redemption. And then last time, we looked at the blessings of the deep satisfaction that only God can give us, justice and righteousness for the oppressed. And third, we looked at the deep wonder of personally knowing and being in personal relationship with God himself. Well, if you missed any of those installments, you can download them free of charge. Stop by our website at dailyinchrist.org. Or if you have uh, subscribed to the Daily in Christ podcast on your mobile device, whether it would be Apple or Android or Windows, then uh, just check the feed and you'll see those earlier installments. Well, today, today we look at one of the most amazing aspects of God's heart of blessing, and that is his incredible steadfast love. Now, it might seem that we've been traveling rather slowly through uh, the Psalm 103, but today we're really going to pick up speed and we're going to travel through quite a number of verses because they all center most of them for the rest of the chapter, at least verse 8 through 18, around this idea of the steadfast love of God. So if you will, please get your Bible and let's turn once again to Psalm 103 And today we begin in verse 8, Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8. 
And as I like to do before we go to this time in God's word, let's go to the God of the word. Let's pray. Father, today we have the incredible privilege of exploring what your word has to say about your wonderful, steadfast love. And Father, I pray once again that you would, through the Holy Spirit, turn the light on, that we may know you better, that we may know today, Lord, in deeper measure, the wonder of your steadfast love, the wonder of what is also known as your unfailing love. Father, I just thank you for my dear listening friend who's taken the time to download this podcast, taken the time to seek you. They're hungry for you, as I am, Lord, to know you better and to make you known. And so, Father, today, as we go through this lesson on Daily in Christ, superintend this time of teaching. Guide my thoughts, guide my words to help unfold and unpack who you really are. And Father, for all of us in our hearing, in our hearts, in our lives, may we hear you. May we experience you in a deeper measure. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, are you there yet? Let's dig into Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. And actually, I'm going to, before we go on, I normally am in the New King James Version But today, we're going to be reading out of the English Standard Version, the ESV, and I'll share in just a moment the reason why I'm doing that. So today, and the ESV is a fantastic version like the New King James Version, a very faithful uh, translation of the Word of God. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments." Okay, there you have it, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 18. And the majority of those verses center around this concept of God's steadfast love. Now, there is a Hebrew word, and you know that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and Aramaic, predominantly Hebrew, that is um, the word that is used uh, in the ESV, translated steadfast love. And that is the Hebrew word kesed, 
Kesed. And the reason why I'm using the ESV uh, through here is that the King James Version and the New King James Version, I'm not sure why the word kesed was translated instead of being steadfast love or unfailing love, it's translated mercy. And really, that's not a good translation of the word kesed. The word kesed refers to God's steadfast love. And uh, this word is found in many places throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms. And nobody used the word kesed more than David, King David himself. So verse 8 of Psalm 103 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, I want you to remember something. In fact, this really is the golden key for any kind of Bible study. We need to remember that the Bible is chiefly not about Christians, but about Christ. The Bible is not about becoming a better person chiefly, but it's about trusting a better person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is chiefly not about becoming more Christ-like, but by allowing by faith more of Christ and his life to flow through us. The Bible is not chiefly about morality, but it is about looking to the one who is our righteousness. And the Bible is not chiefly about blessings. I know that sounds like a contradiction because we're studying the blessings of the Lord. But remember the word chiefly. Uh, The Bible is chiefly about the loving heart of the one who blesses us. And there are over 600 blessings in the Old Testament alone. And they all testify of God's loving heart toward us. And so as we are going through these verses in Psalm 103 and looking at the steadfast love of the Lord, it's easy to look at this as sort of a topical study or a subject for us to take up. I want you to look beyond that and discover in a deeper measure God's loving heart for you, God's loving heart for me. The Bible is chiefly about God the Father himself. It is chiefly about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is chiefly about the Holy Spirit. The Bible is fundamentally a revelation of God himself, what he is like and what he does, his ways. So it is with this Bible concept of this Hebrew word, kesed. Kesed is an expression of God himself. First of all, here's a really good definition of this Hebrew word, kesed. And this comes from Vine's Expository Dictionary, great resource to have in your Bible library. And it says this about the Hebrew word kesed. In general, one may identify three basic meanings of the word, which always interact. They are one, first, strength, second, steadfastness, and thirdly, love. Here they are again, strength, 
steadfastness, and love. Vines goes on to say that any understanding of the word that fails to suggest all three inevitably loses some of its richness. Love, for instance, by itself, easily becomes sentimentalized or universalized apart from the covenant. On the other hand, uh, yet strength or steadfastness alone suggests only the fulfillment of a legal or other obligation. You know, I like to think of it this way. It's like a three-legged stool. A three-legged stool cannot work with two legs. You have to have all three. The weight is borne by all three of those legs. And so it is with this biblical concept of the Hebrew word chesed, or uh, steadfast love, or unfailing love. That element of strength, and I've heard someone say, strength on behalf of a weaker. The second element is steadfastness, or uh, covenant love, that was brought up a little bit in Vine's definition, uh, or faithful love. It's steadfastness. And then the third element is love. Let that kind of soak in for just a moment. Strength, God's strength, which is omnipotent strength for you. Kesed is steadfastness. His is a love that won't give up. And the third concept is the true love of God. Now, I want to look through several different verses that use this Hebrew word, chesed, outside of Psalm 103. Listen to this, and I think you'll get a better idea of what this rich word means in revealing and reflecting our loving God. So Isaiah 54, verse 10, Isaiah 54, verse 10 says this, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. That's in Isaiah 54, verse 10. Now, did you note that? Even in a cataclysm, like mountains departing and hills being removed, yet God promises by saying, but my steadfast love, kesed, shall not depart from you. Did you know that Psalm 136 uses the word kesed 26 times? That's incredible. In Jeremiah 31 verse 3, it says this, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, there's that Hebrew word, kesed, I have drawn you. God has drawn us to him with his steadfast love, his unfailing love, that chesed. How about this? In Psalm 26, verse 3, it says this, For your steadfast love, that's chesed, is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Now, let me just ask you something. It was so important to the psalmist to make sure that this concept of God's steadfast love, his kesed, was always before his eyes. He took the time to reflect upon the steadfast love of God. You know, God's strong love, God's covenant faithful love, God's deep love. He reflected much on that. 
Psalm 26, verse 3 again. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Mm, That is good. (laughs) That is so good. How about this one? This is in Psalm 36, verse 7, which reads this. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And again, the psalmist really had a a deeper understanding of this reality of God's steadfast love. He says it's precious. You know, think about something that's precious or maybe someone who is precious to you or that is precious to you. You take time with that. You will cherish that which you have regarded as precious. Well, the psalmist regarded God's kesed, his steadfast love, as precious. And I love how that psalm says, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings, in that safe security of God's strong, faithful, everlasting love, his steadfast love, we take refuge. Psalm 36, verse 7. I believe that the Hebrew word kesed in the Old Testament is the closest word to the New Testament concept of God's grace. They go hand in hand, and they are indeed an expression of God's loving heart. Well, as we go through Psalm 103 in these verses, first of all, I'm struck in verses 8 through 10 about the dimensions of God's steadfast love. Let's look at these verses again, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. First of all, in the dimensions of God's love, and we'll go through further dimensions in a moment, but in verses 8 through 10, please take note of God's great mercy. He is merciful and gracious and It is so true that mercy spares the guilty from what they deserve. Whenever you see the word mercy in the Bible, it implies that someone has done wrong against God. And God is sparing them from what their sin and their evil and their wickedness truly deserves. That's mercy. Mercy spares the guilty. And then it says in verse 8 that God is gracious. We were reading last time uh, and reflecting on Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Remember when uh, Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory and the Lord passed by, hid his servant in the cleft of the rock, and um, he, God revealed himself as one who is above all else, merciful, and abounding in compassion. That's our God. He's not harsh or judgmental. He is truly merciful and gracious. Think about a person that 
thinking negatively for just a moment, who is a nitpicker, who's a gossip, who doesn't do anything but see this thing wrong with you and that thing wrong with you. Why can't you get that right? Do you want to be around such a person? I know I don't want to be around that kind of person because let's face it, none of us are perfect. We all fail. But how we appreciate someone who is merciful and someone who is gracious with us. God is that way. His chesed, his steadfast love extends to us mercy and grace. God is not harsh and judgmental. And that kind of goes on with the second part of verse 8 that says this, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, first of all, uh, that God is anger, angry, is a biblical fact. But you see, God's anger is not like our human anger, which so often is a knee-jerk reaction or an overreaction or something that's selfish. No, God's anger is holy and aroused by unrighteousness, which is so destructive. I mean, think about it. All of the woe that is on this planet, all of the wrong, all of the horrible things that have happened have been the result of sin. And God's anger is aroused against something that has been such an affront personally to him and his goodness and has been so destructive in the creation. God's anger is not like an abusive parent. God's anger is the result of his justice, which flows from his goodness. As I'm recording this, there's a big controversy that's taking place here in the United States. I won't get into the case, but it's a situation where a young man had sexually assaulted a, a woman and um, on a campus, and he was caught, brought before the court, was found to be guilty as charged, And when the time for sentencing came, the judge passed off with a very light and lenient sentence. And people all across America were angered. What is this judge thinking? The young man sexually assaulted the woman and and you give him six months in prison? It was way out of line with what the law prescribed in terms of a penalty for that kind of a crime. You see, God is not like that. God executes righteousness and justice perfectly. It flows out of his goodness. And even a pagan person recognizes the value and the necessity of justice. And yet, God is slow to anger. He literally is not hot-tempered. And that's good to know. It's good to know that God is not quick on the, on the anger trigger. You see, God's anger is measured. He realizes that uh, we are weak. He realizes that Adam's race has been uh, severely hit by sin. And then we see here at the end of verse 8 that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's that word uh, kesed again. He's abounding. It's overflowing. It's an abundant measure. 
God is not only slow to anger, not only is he merciful, not only is he gracious, but he is abounding in this strong, committed, faithful, deep love. Verse 9 says this, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Now, the the Hebrew word for chide uh, is not really well translated. It's probably not the best way to to translate the Hebrew word and and, and, uh, translate it as chide. In the uh, complete word study, Hebrew dictionary, it says this, Uh, For the Hebrew word, it literally means to strive, to contend, to dispute, and to conduct a lawsuit. The verb means to conduct a lawsuit or a legal case and all that it involves uh, with it. The Lord conducts his case against the leaders of his people. And so when it says that the Lord will not always chide, God has a rightful place to execute the legal case against the wrong that's been perpetrated against him and against his creation. And yet, he is not always in that place and in that space, nor will he keep his anger forever. That's important to understand. Sometimes, and maybe you have been through this situation where someone has been so angry with you that they have permanently cut off relationship with you and they haven't had anything to do with you. They won't even look at you over a long period of time, years, maybe even decades. God is not that way. And by the way, a person who acts that way is ungodly. That is sinful and that is wrong. I don't even want to go there, get into it, but P.S., that kind of reaction from anybody is awful. Uh, They are making themselves higher than God. None of us deserve good from God. All of us deserve judgment. And for someone to basically cut someone else out of their life forever and ever, they're putting themselves above God. And that is idolatry. God is powerful that way. He is not nitpicky in his anger. It is a case when his anger is aroused, of justice and a violation of righteousness. In other words, God has a holy and righteous cause for anger. God's anger achieves justice. And yet look at the great nature of his steadfast love. And may I say this, that it was the steadfast love of God that sent his one and only son who came among sinful men, who uh, endured such hostility from sinners, who went all the way to a cross, who endured the punishment that was due for my sin and your sin. And that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, took upon himself all of the punishment that that we deserved, all of the curse that we deserved, that we would be forgiven, that we would experience mercy, that we would not be cursed, but we would be blessed. At the foundation of God's action through Jesus Christ is his chesed, his steadfast or unfailing love, his grace. I need to move on. Second part of verse nine, it says this, 
nor will he keep his anger forever. I want to go over to Isaiah 54 because this reflects this. And if you look in verses six through eight, listen uh, to God's heart. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment, I have forsaken you, but with great mercies, I will gather you. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, there it is, the Hebrew word kesed, I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Isn't that powerful? And again, that's in Isaiah 54, verses 6 through 8. God calls us like a, like a forsaken woman. And God says, for a moment, a mere moment, it literally means like a flash in time, I have forsaken you because of the sin and the wrong. But he says, with great mercies, I will gather you with a little wrath. I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness. How long is everlasting? It is forever. Everlasting kindness, chesed. I will have mercy upon you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. And it's noteworthy that Isaiah 54 follows Isaiah 53. And I'm not just talking about a numerical sequence here. What's in Isaiah 53, but a prophecy that was brought by the Holy Spirit through his servant Isaiah seven centuries before it was fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it accurately and powerfully portrayed all that Jesus would take for us as our atonement, as our redeemer, as our savior to bring us to God. And Isaiah 54 is the new covenant result of all that Jesus took for you and me. And take some time, read through Isaiah 53 and then Isaiah 54. You'll see what I mean. You see, God for a mere moment was I have forsaken you, or a little wrath versus everlasting, nonstop, kesed, everlasting kindness. And then look at this in verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I want you to reflect upon your greatest action of sin or failure or wickedness. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want you to think about that. And now I want you to think about that in light of this verse that says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad that God is not dealing with you? I am glad that he is not dealing with me according to to my sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And in another episode of this, we talked about the uh, biblical concept of iniquity. It is a deliberate action of wickedness and sin against God. He does not repay you according to your iniquities. He does not repay me according to my iniquities. 
Thank God. Jesus took all of the dealing with our sins and he repaid all according to our iniquities. Why? So that you and I never will. Hey, God's mercy doesn't sweep things under the carpet and say, oh, that's okay, forget about it, it's all right. No, that would make God the biggest lawbreaker in the universe. Justice has to be served. And Jesus Christ, his son, willingly took upon himself the punishment, willingly took upon himself what justice deserved to give to you and me. He took it upon himself so that we would never have to deal with our sins. We would never have to pay that infinite debt against God ever, ever again. Aren't you glad about God's unfailing steadfast love that spares us so much by giving Jesus. I think about that wonderful verse over in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Remember dear friend, God's mercy spares the guilty from the justice of condemnation that they deserve. And why does God give us such mercy? Ephesians 2.4 says this, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. That's his kesed. That's his steadfast love. That's his faithful love. Great in dimension. God shows mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And it says there in Ephesians 2, 4, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. A few years ago, I uh, was talking to the Lord and I noticed that the peak expressions of the love of God in the Bible, I mentioned one, uh, John three sixteen a moment ago, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You notice it's in the past tense, so loved the world. Or how about in Romans chapter 5 where it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were, past tense, yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even as we've been talking about Ephesians chapter 2, it says, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why is it in these peak expressions in the Bible about your love that it's always in the past tense? And I'll never forget what God shared with me. He said, son, he said, if I loved you then when you could have cared less about me, when you were lost, when you were a rebel, when you were a sinner, if I loved you then, I certainly love you. Now, mm, that touches my heart. That I, I'll never get over that. His great, unfailing love. That's, that's God. And, and this revolves around, you know, his love flows. His steadfast love flows from this space and this place of him being love and being so good. Now we're looking at here in Psalm 103, the incredible blessings and benefits of our loving God. And right now, looking at the great dimensions of God's steadfast love. 
And remember that powerful Hebrew word for chesed. That's the Hebrew word that means uh, strength on behalf of a weaker one, steadfastness or committed or covenant love or faithful love. Well, I'm going to stop right there. We're going to pick it up next time as we're going to look more into the dimensions of God's steadfast love. Another dynamic that's brought out in the blessings of God that are enumerated throughout Psalm 103. I want you to take some time, and we're going to do it in a moment, but I want you to take what you've learned today to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to um, open your eyes and your understanding. You're not praying for more of God's love. How can he give you more? His love is perfect. No, the problem isn't that God needs to give you or me more love. The problem is you or I don't get it. We don't understand it. We don't see it. And part of it might be that we are relying upon human tradition, human understanding, and human teaching instead of relying upon the revelation of God's love that is so clearly laid out in the Bible, God's Word. Or maybe we are going to the Bible, God's Word, and looking at these things, yet trying to grasp them with human ability, our flesh only. No, we want to approach God's holy word with a clear dependence upon the Holy Spirit who inspired these very words and who can, uh, the Bible talks about it in terms of light. It's like turning the light on in a room. When you have revelation, it's like turning a light on. When you are, you could be in a room, someone could lead you into a dark room All the lights are out. You can't see. But let's say that room was full of treasures beyond compare, jewels and money and gold. But if you're in the dark room, you won't know what's in there until someone turns on a light. All it takes is one light. It can even be one candle. And do you see just one thing? No. What you see are many things. So I encourage you, as we're going to do here in a moment, to take this to the Lord and say, Lord, in a deeper way, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you have laid out in the Bible. Now I rely not upon my own understanding, but I rely upon the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm already starting, so let's go ahead and let's pray in that measure right now. Father, what an honor and a privilege for us to be able to call you Father. That means we're your children were members of your family. And I think of what it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And Father, it's all because of your incredible love. And Lord, we can count upon your love because it is chesed. It is steadfast love. It is covenant love. It is committed love. It is faithful love. It is strong love. Father, thank you that we don't have to guess about you. You have taken the time to reveal yourself through the scriptures. But Lord, we realize too that that without the illuminating and enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, these are just words on a page. And so Father, I pray 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, for myself and for our listen, my listening friend, I pray that you would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deeper and greater and better knowledge, knowing of you. And Lord, specifically, as we have been looking at these verses and others related to these verses about your wonderful steadfast love. Father, we ask for that. And I thank you, Lord, that the word says that if we pray according to the will of God, we have that for which we have prayed for. Thank you, Lord. We receive that deeper revelation, deeper enlightening of the reality of your steadfast love. Oh, Lord, may it profoundly impact us in our everyday life. And Father, just like the psalmist said, that uh, we would always keep your steadfast love in the front of our minds, in view, that we will know that no matter where we go, we are surrounded in the sea of your great, perfect covenant love. I thank you, God, that you are not a Lord or a God of justice that has anger forever. I thank you that you are a God of justice. And Lord, we know that the outcome of justice would be our condemnation, our just condemnation because of our high treason against you, Lord. But God, I thank you for your great mercy. I thank you for bringing your son, Jesus, in that expression of your steadfast love, you said, I will give all, sparing not even my own son, so that you can be brought in close to my heart. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your great love with which you have loved us. Love from which mercy springs. Thank you for making us kings and priests in your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for making us children of God. Thank you, Father, for making us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray for the upcoming week. May we just day by day soak in the reality of your great steadfast love. And we thank you and praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, dear friend, has this been a help to you? Oh, it sure is a help to me. I know I'm the teacher for this, but I'm just so blessed as I reflect upon the crystal clear reality of God's steadfast love. You know, this is news that we should not keep to ourselves. We have to share it with others. And if today's lesson has been a blessing to you, would you please do a great favor for that person that needs to hear the good news. Would you share this podcast and particularly today's lesson about God's steadfast love with a friend? Let them know about the recordings that are available to them free of charge and articles that are helpful for your Christian life at dailyinchrist.org. That's our website, dailyinchrist.org. We freely make these materials available for uh, folks around the world. I have a very strong conviction that it should be that way because I don't want anyone, because of financial reasons, kept out of this important teaching from the Word of God. And I want to say thank you to those who support us through prayer and financial giving as well. God bless you for doing that because that enables us to continue in this manner. Find out more, stop by our website at 
dailyinchrist.org. Until next time, and we meet again, I'm Mark Fanus. Always remember Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him.